Hey, this is Scott Taylor. I am so glad that you have joined us. I'm the pastor of Turning Point Church, and we would love to connect with you. You can connect with us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at TPCGVL, or you could text the word CONNECT to 864-479-4483. We've got a word for you today that I hope challenges you and inspires you. Good morning. It is a joy to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm sorry for the circumstances. Uh, As many of you have probably heard, Pastor Scott's father has passed away this week, and he's, of course, as was stated earlier, with his family, and our thoughts and our prayers are with him. But it does open up an opportunity for me to come fellowship with you guys again, and it gives me another Sunday. I don't have to dress up in a suit, so thank you. God bless you. And it's good. Amen. Isn't the Lord good for those things? <laughs> Every once in a while, when you go to a church and you're on staff and you have, to wear a, you have to wear a suit all the time, it's nice to have a break, right? Kind of get out there and let it flow a little bit. Um, but it is a joy to be here with you guys. I've, I enjoy being in the lobby, seeing you guys come in with all your smiling faces and how warm you are to each other. It is very nice and it is wonderful to see uh, my son enjoys your children's ministry. Um, he was a little shy last week with the superheroes. Batman was a little bit of an intimidation, but he got over it. He, he moved on. Um, as a matter of fact, they gave a sticker, and he didn't want it, so I've got to wear it on my, my iPad case ever since, proudly remembering that Turning Point has superheroes. Yay. Well, I want to jump right in with you guys this morning. Um, I was just uh, talking to someone out in the lobby earlier this morning. I'm used to whenever I speak, I cover a lot of Wednesday night Bible studies for, at Praise Cathedral, and those go for an hour. And so I've had to learn how to say what I'm going to say and say it quickly so we can do the right time. This morning, I want to preach a little bit different style, and I don't know exactly how I would describe this style, but we're going to kind of talk about a story in the Bible. And as we come to a certain port, part, we'll reference a scripture verse and we'll talk about it. But I enjoy getting in to the Word and discovering all the things that are there that sometimes just a cursory look might miss. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the book of Ruth. And the question for me, as I read this book, is can we trust God's goodness? Now, we sing songs about God's goodness, right? We have preachers that come up and preach about God's goodness, right? But when the rubber meets the road, can we really trust His goodness? Before we dive in, there's a couple of things that I would like to establish as kind of our ground foundation as we go into the story of Ruth. The first thing that we need to establish is God defines what is good. We do not. Okay, there are a lot of folks out there because I pay attention to these things that criticize God because they say that the things that he does are not good because they find themselves as the authority of what's good. When in reality, whenever we come to a place to where we say that this is good, but God does not say that it is good, instead of trying to make God come over here to me, I need to move to him. He is the one who defines what good is. 
Number two, just because God doesn't do what we want doesn't make him a meanie. Right? If you talk to my son on certain days, I'm a meanie. Because I don't let him do what he wants to do, or I don't do the very thing, follow his wishes to a T. We almost had a little collision course this morning. Because we stopped at Starbucks and we got some hot chocolate. And we were coming in, and we were about to come in this morning, and he had his cup. I said, put your cup in your, in your seat cup holder, and we're going in. And he says, well, I want to throw it away. I said, well, that's fine. But just put it in there. Don't worry about that. He goes, but I want to take it in and throw it away. And we had this little clash, a little bit of, it was one of those, it's not a problem to bring it in and throw it away, but I said, put it in the cup holder. Somebody, any parent with me right now? I need a child to do what I say because I say it. Right? A child's running towards the road and I yell stop and I don't need to explain to him how velocity of a vehicle will annihilate him. He, I just need him you to stop, right? But because I'm not a meanie, we got to bring in his cup this morning and throw it away. But I let him know if I wanted it in that cup holder, it was going in that cup holder. So, little battles, you got to pick them. And number three, just because something bad happens in my life doesn't mean God did it. Okay? Thousands of years ago, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they disobeyed God, and the sin curse came upon this world. And with the sin curse came war, famine, diseases, and with that came bad things happening to good people. Amen? I just had a question this week. Somebody asked, why do these things happen to the righteous? And my response was, because of sin. And I said, went further, and I know it was one sin with Adam and Eve, and we don't see another recorded sin by them. I'm sure that they did. But if you followed my life, it wouldn't be just one sin. I've, I've messed up multiple times. But just know that when bad things happen, God's not up there causing it to happen. We cause things to happen as well. Does that make sense? So with that being said, Ruth, the book of Ruth, if you have read it, I'll kind of give a brief overview, if you will, for those of you who haven't is a story about a woman who is not an Israelite. It's the only story uh, book in the Old Testament named after somebody or given a name that doesn't have anything to do with an Israelite. She was what was known as a Moabite from the country of Moab, and they were actually an enemy of Israel. So this is kind of a big deal that she's not only in the Bible, but has a book bearing her name. But when you read the story that's in the book of Ruth, it's not really all about Ruth. I mean, she's a big part of it. She's a great lady. But I believe, as I read it, the real story is about her mother-in-law, Naomi. Because the story begins with Naomi and it ends with Naomi. There is something that happens in the beginning and something that happens at the end. And that's what it's about. So with that being said, the book opens up and tells us a story of this Israelite family that lives in this little town called Bethlehem. Which to us, especially as we cruise in on Christmas, is a big deal, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Apparently, I'm the only one who grew up with those songs. That's fine. I'll sing it for you again later for free. You don't have to buy tickets. It's a big deal to us, but back then, Bethlehem wasn't that big of a deal. It was just kind of a small town with a red light, you know what I'm saying? And so, it uh, wasn't that big of a deal, but there was a famine in the land. Now, this is set, the setting of the story is during the time of the judges. If you've read the book of Judges, it sets somewhere in that time period. 
And probably because Israel was not very obedient, they had been disobedient and famine had come upon the land. All right, so now there's a famine and this Israelite husband takes his wife Naomi, his two boys, and says, we're going to go to Moab so we can eat. Now, there's been a lot of preachers preach about how they have left Bethlehem. They shouldn't have done that. Bethlehem literally means house of bread, and they went somewhere else looking for bread, and I get all that. I would say that many of us, if we were in a land that was cursed, would probably want to get out, right? I've heard many people talk here in America about, well, I don't know how much longer we're going to stay here. You know, this place is kind of going crazy. I don't know where I'm going to go. Um, I still think it's the best place on earth personally. But when things are cursed, we don't like to be around cursings. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But he takes his family to this country of Moab. And when he gets there, we don't know how long he's there, but eventually he dies. So Naomi takes it upon herself, and she finds her sons, two Moabite women. These are foreign women. This is kind of a no-no, if you will, but she does it anyway. But about 10 years after being in Moab, her two boys die. doesn't tell us how they died. It's just the important part is they died. And in this culture, to be a woman without a husband or sons restricted you pretty much to a life of poverty unless you had somebody willing to take you in and here's this woman in a foreign land and she does not have any possible prospects so she looks at her daughters and she says to them go home to your mother's house and listen to what she says in verse i believe it's verse 13 the lord's hand has turned against me now I will say this, I, don't, I understand she's in a tight spot, she's in a bad spot, but I'm not sitting here saying God specifically did that to her, right? Sometimes life just happens, and bad things happen. Sometimes bad things happen because we make bad choices. You ever seen that happen? For instance, an individual who has spent their entire life smoking, laying now on a hospice bed with lung cancer about to get to die says, why did God do this to me? Now that sounds like a made-up story, don't it? <laughs> that is not a made-up story. <laughs> I knew that person, and I talked to that person, and the person asked, why is God doing this to me? Of course, a person's on hospice. You're not going to sit there and say, well, probably because you smoked all your life, right? The obvious. We don't say that. I kind of went on about we don't all always understand about what goes on. But the reality of the matter is this individual smoked all their life and they developed lungs. It's what happens, right? God's not to blame for our poor decisions. And I don't think God's to blame here, but it doesn't stop her from saying the Lord's hand has turned from me. So she tells her daughter-in-law, go back to your mother's house. Uh, Orpha ends up leaving, doesn't want to. They love her. She's apparently a very good woman. But she finally goes home, but her other daughter-in-law named Ruth will not go. She says, you, I want to go with you. I will not leave you. Do not send me away. And what we're going to see in this story is she ends up becoming a part of the Israelite community and becoming a very important part of the bloodline of King David and eventually Jesus. It's a big deal for a Moabite woman whose people were cursed because their people stood against Israel. This is a big deal. And I think the thing that opens the door for her, where she finds favor from God, is she looks at Naomi, and this is what she says. Your people are going to be my people, 
and your God is going to be my God. She says, I'm going to leave behind my upbringing. I'm going to leave behind all these Moabite gods that we have, and I'm going to serve Yahweh. I'm going to serve the God of Israel. And brothers and sisters, when you're reading in the Old Testament, this is kind of what we would describe as a rough time in the Bible sometimes. The Lord is pretty stringent about things, but his heart is always tugged when somebody comes and says, I want you to be my God. His heartstrings are pulled for that. So Naomi and Ruth, they come back to Israel. And whenever they go back, they say, look, Naomi's come back. And Naomi says to them, no, don't call me Naomi. She's so hurt and she's so bitter about what's going on. She says, my name is Mara, which in the Hebrew means bitter. And she makes this statement. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And all this comes to a turning point. Here is a woman who is in despair, who has lost her husband and suffered something no mama should ever suffer, and that's the death of her two babies. And now she's come back home. She says, I am empty. God has brought me back empty, and I'm doomed. She has no prospects. She has this daughter-in-law that won't leave her, wants to take care of her, but she just she feels responsible for this daughter-in-law. This is a rough time. If we had clinical psychiatrists back then, I'm sure they would diagnose her with extreme depression. She felt horrible. Some people would even look up and say, why even go on? Right? But the story goes on that Ruth says, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go glean in a field. Now, Ancient Hebrew law said for the people who had fields that they would harvest in, hey, when you go harvest, don't get it all. Leave a little bit so some of the poor and some of the needy and the foreigner that come by, they can get something to eat. So she says, I'm going to go glean. So she goes out and she ends up in a field of a man named Boaz. And old Boaz, he's a big deal. She doesn't know it, but he's related to Naomi's family. And so she gathers up some of the grain. He sees her. And finds favor with her. He gives her his favor. And he says, fill up her sack. Take care of this one. And he says to her, I tell you what. You hang out with the ladies that are with me. When you want something to drink, go to our well. When you want something to eat, come eat our food. I mean, she's kind of hit the jackpot as far as gleaning goes. He shows her great favor. And he says, don't go to anybody else's field. You just come here. We're going to take care of you. So she goes back. She's got a big old sack. She's eating her field. She ate so much at lunch, she had enough to bring back to Naomi for supper. Naomi says, what in the world? This is kind of unusual. Whose field did you go to? And she says, I went to a man named Boaz's field. And here in this story is where everything begins to turn. Because she makes this statement in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 2. I seem to have lost my place here. I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 20. She says, the Lord bless him. Talking about Boaz. And then, but then she says, he, and this he is Yahweh, this is God, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and to the dead. She's saying he is taking care of us, but she knows who Boaz is. Boaz is what is called a kinsman redeemer. Some of your translation may say guardian redeemer. But in Israelite customs, 
If a family were to die, they were to lose their male and that name were to be lost. It was a relative's responsibility to marry the widow and have children to carry on the dead person's name. And Naomi knows Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. He's a man in good standing. Not only can he rescue us from poverty, but he can resurrect a dead family name. And she uses this word kindness. Now, we've not seen her refer to God as kind. We've seen that his hand has been against her, that he has brought her back empty, right? And she's in a bad spot. And brothers and sisters, I don't have to connect the dots very much for us to realize. We sometimes get in a bad spot, and it's awfully hard for us to see the goodness of God when we're in that spot, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do. When you have lost family members, you have lost jobs, nothing seems to be going your way, and somebody says, hey man, what's going on? You're like, blessed and highly favored. Glory to God. If I was blessed anymore, I couldn't stand it. That's not how we say, man, I tell you what, it's been rough. It's been hard. And we might say the Lord's hand has been against us. But whenever this story starts to turn, Naomi recognizes something. Because this word for kindness is not a usual Hebrew word. If you know anything about translation sometimes, sometimes it's hard to literally translate from one language to the other. Right? I remember taking French and, Span and Spanish in high school. Failed them both. Don't worry, I'm not going to give you a lesson. I'm horrible. I'm, I'm, I do poor enough at English. I can't really get any other language very good. But I know, I learned that nouns have gender. For instance, the doors have a gender. They are either a lay or a la, and I can't even tell you which gender it is, but it's the door. But to literally translate it, depending on the gender of the door, we would either say it's a male door or a female door, which to us sounds completely weird in the way that we speak English, Right? And to somebody who's a native Spanish or French or other, it's natural, right? It's not even a second thought. So sometimes a literal translation is difficult because they're saying something that doesn't translate well. Like, for instance, a lot of the Psalms are poetry that we completely miss because the words don't rhyme, right? And we kind of miss the beauty of what was written. And this word here that we find in Ruth, this word for kindness in verse 20, is a Hebrew word called hesed. Sometimes it's pronounced chesed. Right? And it's one of these words that is awfully difficult to translate. As a matter of fact, when you look across six different translations, the Hebrew word hesed is translated 169 different ways. That's a lot. It can mean kindness. It can mean mercy. It can mean love. It can mean grace. And what it really is, and I found this really good explanation for this word, is it is a strong relational term that wraps up a cluster of concepts. So we don't have just one word that will capture all this word means, right? It's basically all the positive attributes of God. Love, Mercy, grace, kindness, goodness, benevolence, loyalty. Listen to this. Covenant faithfulness. That's a big deal. In short, it's that quality that moves someone to act for another person without gaining anything or expecting anything in return. 
It is an action, it's an attribute, if you will, of I'm going to be good to you in many different ways, in many different facets, and I don't need anything back, only because we are in covenant. You know, in marriage, sometimes marriage, unfortunately, acts more like a contract than a covenant, but it's supposed to be a covenant. And when you're in a marriage, you do things for the other person, should anyway, without expecting anything in return. Now, guys, I don't believe that we've ever bought flowers just for the sake of flowers. Flowers are usually, I'm sorry, I messed up, or it's for romance. But I challenge you this week to go buy some flowers just because she's your wife. That would be a good thing. And it's good today that my wife is at home. My wife's at home right now passing a kidney stone, but she didn't have to hear me say that. So I'm actually off the hook. The rest of the guys are actually on the hook now, so I'll probably still have to buy her flowers this week anyway. But it's the action that God takes, and it's who he is, and he expresses this kindness, if you will, to Naomi. When you go to Psalm chapter 139, it's this famous psalm. We've actually written songs on it. You know, it says, the Lord is good. His love endures forever. And when you read the psalm, it keeps saying his love endures, or depending on translation, his mercy endures, his grace endures. One translation uses the word, his loving kindness. And that word is hased. It's this thing about him that endures and it perseveres forever for his people. As a matter of fact, that term loving kindness is a phrase that was made up in the 1500s for the Clover, uh, Cloverdale Bible when it was in, translated into English, one of the earliest translations. The translator looking at this word could not find a good word, so he created the term loving kindness to describe this word. And so if you will, if we can put it into verse 20 here, Ruth is saying the, the Lord has shown his loving kindness. He's not stopped showing his loving kindness to both the living and the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, up to this moment, I don't know that Naomi would have said that the Lord was showing her his hased, his loving kindness, if you will. Now, chapter 1, she blesses her daughters-in-law. She goes, may the Lord show you loving kindness. But she has this attitude, he's not showing me loving kindness, his hand's against me. And what I want to talk to you about just real quick this morning is when you find yourself in that place where you're in a place of despair, where you're at a place of loss, where you're at a place that you don't know what to do, where you're in a place of de desperation, depression, fill in the blank. Can you still trust God's faithful, loving kindness? Because what happens for me and what I have seen happen for other people is we begin to go chase after other things to show us that faithful, loving kindness. Because when we don't feel like we're getting it, there's this craving that comes up inside of us, doesn't it? Do you ever crave to be shown kindness? Do you ever desire that where you're just like, nobody's being nice to me right now? Nobody's being kind to me? And it feels like not even God is. There's this place as we grow in our maturity and our walk with God where we begin to realize that our feelings and our emotions do not necessarily define reality. Now, our perception is our reality, right? 
the way we perceive things comes across as our reality. But the maturity that it takes to stand on the Word of God and says, I believe in your loving kindness. And even though I don't feel it right now, God, I know that you're still going to show me your faithful, loving kindness. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll miss it. And we'll miss where his hand is at. You know, Ruth is one of these books that, you know, theologians will say, you don't have a prophecy from God. You don't necessarily have a, a, this great miracle from God per se. You know, God, other than being referred to, sometimes is a little bit absent in this book until the very end. But if you look, you begin to see his hand moving things. How is it that she ends up in the right field with the right person that can redeem her family? You start to see him move this. And as Naomi coaches Ruth and she says, this is what can happen. This is what I want you to do. Ruth steps up as a noble woman and does what Naomi calls her to do. And whenever Boaz realizes that she wants him to redeem her family name, this is what he says to her. Bless you, my daughter, for this hased that you have shown me. This kindness that you have shown me. He says, you could have chased after a younger guy. You could have went after some of this or after the other, but you've shown kindness to me. And so he begins to make this movement to where he begins to redeem her family name. He says, there's someone close to relation. I've got to go to him, make sure that he's good with this. And so he goes through and has this meeting. The guy turns down his right to redeem it. So Boaz says, I will redeem it. I will redeem your family. Right? And again, we see him, we see Ruth, we see a marriage happen, and then we see that the Lord causes Ruth to become pregnant. And this is how, at the end of chapter 4, in verse 16, it says, Then Naomi, remember her, took the child in her arms and cared for him. Why? Because this is her grandson that Boaz has given her that will redeem her. He will carry on the family name. And it says, the women said, living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And brothers and sisters, that's a pretty big deal. Don't you think? Now, Naomi has experienced Horrible loss. I would go far to, as to say she has experienced something that will leave a scar on her heart. Because you don't lose a baby. You don't lose a spouse without it leaving something in your heart, right? But God comes by and he does this thing called redeem. And he redeems something that's so important to her. But he doesn't just redeem it. He doesn't just redeem a family name and bring something that was dead back to life. He causes now that this child will be the grandfather of one of the greatest kings to ever rule Israel. A man God calls someone who is after his own heart. And eventually through this family line, the Messiah is going to come to redeem all of humanity. So 
wrapped up in this redeeming of Naomi's family name, God is going to birth the redemption for all of humanity. Brothers and sisters, that's a big deal. As a matter of fact, that's good news. Now, I hate it for Naomi that she had to go through a hard time. That's rough. I don't wish that on nobody. And if you rewind Naomi back, I'm sure she said, no, I'd rather just not go through that because it's horrible and it was the worst time of my life. And I get that. I get that personally. But she would also say to you, the Lord did not forget her and showed his hased. He showed his faithful, loving kindness to her. And brothers and sisters, what I'm here to say to you this morning is that even though you may be going through a hard time and you can't see it, God still is going to show you his faithful, loving kindness if you'll open up and if you'll pay attention. I'll close with a quick story. It's actually more of a testimony, if you will. A couple here know some of this story because y'all were with us at Praise Cathedral. But my wife and I used to live in Ohio. I started off in ministry up there at a place called Potter's House, and uh, we ended up coming down to become the children's pastors at Praise Cathedral. And shortly after moving down here, my wife developed epilepsy. She was on a medication. She had a kidney issue. And it reduced her threshold for seizures, and she started having seizures. Ends up losing the kidney, but not the seizures. She's on so much medicine, and if you've ever experienced somebody with epilepsy, uh, you take some medicine until, you know, trying to stop the seizure. You're trying to increase the threshold. And as the doctor explained it to us, if you have a seizure, we got to give you more medicine to try to raise the threshold. And no matter how much they gave her, she kept having seizures. As a matter of fact, she was on uh, Keppra, I believe is the first medicine they put you on because it has the least amount of side effects. She was on so much Keppra, she started walking into walls. It was crazy. It's kind of funny now that I look back now, but then it, it wasn't very funny. I kind of, you know, we poke fun at each other about it now, but it wasn't, it wasn't very funny then. She actually did, you know, we, we always try to joke about things and she, you know, she'd been dealing with epilepsy for a few years and she says to me one day, you know, trying to keep the mood light, she says, what kind of salad do you give somebody with epilepsy? And I said, I don't know. And she goes, Caesar salad. And I said, only you can tell that. I can't tell that. You can tell that. I can't. We tried to make light, but she kept having seizures. And it's a grand mall, you know, with the whole body, the foam at the mouth, all that. It's rough. And we had to put a lot of things on pause. One of my dreams was to have children, and she was on so much medication and such poor health, that was out of the question. I remember talking to the kids, and I was talking to them about sometimes you have to give up a dream to take God's dream. And Miss Garrett, who was our coordinator back there, she comes up, she goes, have you given up on your dream for that child? And I said, I have. I don't know that God's going to heal her because he hasn't yet. And I was just mentioning to Zeb this morning because it was fresh on my mind. I came in many Sunday mornings on empty. Absolute empty. Because this person I love is struggling and having seizures. And she has a PhD in evolutionary ecology, organismal biology. And she can't hardly add in her mind. She's on so much medicine. This bright, wonderful person. I lose her. And then she gets on one medicine that completely changes her personality for the worst I didn't even know who she was I didn't understand what she was doing she made my life a living hell I mean I, 
I don't say this lightly. I suffered a little bit of PTSD from certain things she would do because I'm like, oh God, something's about to happen. She's about to do something. I've had to grab knives out of her hand. I've had to do all kinds of because it's medicine. When we realized that we switched the medicine and that behavior stopped, and she became a zombie. I mean, it was one thing after another after another. And I remember telling the Lord, Lord, I will serve you, but I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of return here. I'm stressed. I'm hurt. And in 2015, I went to Texas on this thing called a quest. Quest after the heart of God. And there's a day of fasting and I was out praying and you're by yourself all day long and praying. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm going to heal Joni through childbirth. I don't know if you've ever heard the voice of God, but it's not a booming voice. It was in my heart. And I said, was that me or was that God? I didn't trust myself not to just think that. I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing nothing else. I was just, I don't know if this is it. I come back. I tell like two or three people. I said, if God heals her, I want you to verify that I'm telling the truth. I'm not just making this up. And so I said, let's try to have a baby. And so we did. She dropped her medicine down and we tried, but she had seizure after seizure after seizure until I said, I must have heard God wrong because you're not getting pregnant and you're having all these things. Go back up on your medicine. And I gave up on it. Until the next year, she dropped her medicine to half and stopped taking her birth control again. And she does get pregnant and doesn't tell me. Right? And so she t- calls me one day and she says, don't freak out, but I'm at urgent care and I'm pregnant and I think I'm going to miscarry it. How do you not freak out, right? I, don't, I didn't come with a manual for that. I don't know what that looks like. The short version is she didn't lose the baby. And, I, and as they did her blood work, they would test for everything, and they would test for her medicine she was taking. And one day they came and said, we can't find your medicine in your blood. And you see your neurologist. He did blood work, and he calls her up, and this is what he says. When was the last time you had a seizure? She says, last year. He goes, do you have any auras for somebody with epilepsy, like their hands get real big or things get real close? She goes, no, I haven't had anything like that. She goes, the neurologist said, it has nothing to do with your medicine. It's not there. He says, so if you want to come off your medicine while you're pregnant, come on off. And after you have your baby, if you have any more problems, give us a call. Well, I have a six-year-old back there in Children's Church right now. We haven't called that neurologist yet. Now, I didn't feel, thank you, praise the Lord for that. I didn't feel his faithful, loving kindness in that moment. There were many years I asked God, where were we at? I didn't even know my heart was crying out for this hased. But God, where is it? Because I don't feel it and it doesn't look like anything's going to change. And because it's year after year, about seven, eight years of epilepsy, ravaging this wonderful person, taking her. Now, I tell you that this morning because that's our testimony. And by the word of our testimony, we're made overcomers according to the word of God. Now, did God make her have epilepsy? No. It's just life happens. But just because life happens doesn't mean God gives up on us. And just because you can't feel it doesn't mean that his loving kindness isn't there. And I've come here this morning to remind you that if you're in the midst of a storm, if you're in a battle right now with depression, despair, whatever it is, God has a faithful, loving kindness. And if you haven't been able to see it, keep looking. It will show up. So with that being said, with every head bowed and every eye closed, those of you watching online, 
I ask you to bow your heads too. I want to pray for you and I want to pray for these people here right now. I know how difficult it is to miss his loving kindness. How easy it is to just bypass it. So this morning I pray for you. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, touch every person here this morning, every person watching online. Lord, if they're watching recording, Lord, we know your spirit is still at work. Open their eyes. Show them where your hand is moving, Lord. Show them how you have been showing them loving kindness, that you have plans for them, Lord, that you want to bless them. Lord, that you have good things. And I rebuke every lie of the enemy that says that you have forsaken them and that you're causing calamity in their lives. I rebuke it. It's a lie. And I speak truth to that lie right now that God is a loving God who wants to pour his said out on his people. So I bless you this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Receive his loving kindness and see his hand at work. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Do y'all appreciate Pastor Chris sharing his heart today? Wow. What a... I can't get over how the Holy Spirit just orchestrates and puts things together. And I tell you what, if he spoke to your heart, he spoke to mine... If you would like, if you're in the room and you would like somebody to pray with you or for you, you are welcome to just come up front. He'll be here. I'll hang around um, other people. And let us, let us, let us pray for you. Um, don't, don't face this stuff alone. Um, God is real. God is real. Um, his mercy does endure forever and his faithfulness I'm just so blessed and I hope you were as well um, thank you again for joining us online I do want to tell you if you didn't receive um, an email or a notification from me this week pastor as pastor Chris said pastor Scott's father did pass away earlier this week and his funeral is today at 2 30 it's at Praise Cathedral in Greer, South Carolina. If you don't know where that is, just look it up on your, uh, what do you call it? Thank you. You know your thing on your phone. Um, Praise Cathedral, Greer, South Carolina. The service will be at 2.30. They will receive friends after the service. So you don't need to get there ahead of time. They'll receive friends after the service. So. Um, if you would like to go um, extend love to Pastor Scott, I know he and his family would appreciate it. 2.30 today. God bless you. Be safe this week, and we will see you back next week. <laughs>